Psalm 19. Okay, we've been talking about what from Psalm 19? Canon of Scripture. Okay, talking about the canon of Scripture, the creation of God, and the conscience of man. We've been talking about the ways that God reveals himself to man. How does God reveal himself to us? How does God speak to us? And this psalm speaks specifically about two of those revelations, and they were the creation of God and the in the canon of scripture. And remember, canon isn't like how we think most of the times in like um, with Marvel or the Avengers or anything of how it's like a story. It's more of like the big collection of the little books that make up the big book or the canon of scripture. Okay? We've been talking specifically about this. Then in the last lesson, we encountered the crux and the main theme in our song. I did. Yeah. Hebrew poetry is sometimes different from American poetry. In American poetry, it's like this. So I can show you. So like if you ever read Robert Frost or some of these great poets, right? it's like this. They start small and they build upon the theme and then they build upon the theme and then they build upon the theme. And at the end of the poem, they reach like the peak of the mountain and then the poem ends. Right? They, come, they finally come to that big point that they were developing through the whole poem. But Hebrew poetry is actually really different. Hebrew poetry, yes, it starts small, and it develops, and it develops, and then it develops. But its main point comes in the middle of the psalm, in the middle of the poem, and then it descends off from there and continues to develop that main point in the middle. So last week we talked about the main point, or on Sunday rather. And the main point was the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So what, Brother Alex, what's the main point? That the law brings us to Jesus Christ. That the greatest thing that the Bible can do is it can restore our soul from, dis- from decay, from disorder. It can make our eyes wise into salvation. Helps us to see our need for a Savior and then brings us to Jesus Christ. Just like if you remember from 2 Timothy 3.15, now the Apostle Paul said, Timothy, you've known the scriptures since you were a child, and they've made you wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. That is the main crux and the main point of the psalm. Everything else kind of attaches itself to that. We then mentioned briefly how the rightness of God's word brings rejoicing to our hearts because we have put our hope in the truth that I don't have to wonder or worry, is, is Islam really right? Is Buddhism really right? No, the word of God is really right. And that kind of gives me some happiness. I don't have to wonder like, oh, is it this or is it that? Or I, or have some kind of like almost sadness in my heart of like, I don't, I'm not really sure about this. No, we know it's right. So we can have confidence. It's kind of like a burden off of our shoulders. It's like this lightness of, wow, I was given the truth. You could have been born in any religion in the world, but you were born these in this room knowing the truth of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a truth. It's not just my relative truth. No, it is the objective, real truth of the word of God that has been found to be true throughout all ages and in the in the hearts and minds of anybody who's ever trusted it. They found that the word of God is sure and that it's right and that it can be trusted. You could have, well, I already talked about it. Tonight we will discover some new names of God's perfect and enduring and rewarding word. 
The fear of the Lord is clean. Verse 9. Verse 9, everybody. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. As with every other verse we've discussed so far, the law of the Lord has been referenced in every verse with a new synonym. Right? If we look at verse 7, the law of the Lord, that's the law. The testimony of the Lord, that's the law. The statutes of the Lord are right, that's the law. The commandment, that's the law. The fear of the Lord, even that is the law. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. By application of this verse, we see that the law of God teaches us to fear. That means not to be scared of, but to have a respectful awe. That knowing that if you disobey, then there's going to be some pretty stiff punishment. So if you guys, right, or if you girls, if you disobey mom or dad, right, you know most times there's a stiff punishment. You're not scared. You're not high. When you go home, you guys don't hide behind something because you're terrified of your dad or terrified of your mom. But you, you have an awe. You have a respect for your parents. You love them. You know that they love you. But you know that if you step out of line, that there's going to be some punishment. There's going to be something that you deserve, and it is coming swiftly. And God says that that's the fear that's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that reverential respect and awe, and knowing that if I sin, if I do something wrong, the Lord chastens every son in whom he delighteth. That if I step out of line, God's going to spiritually spank me. You guys follow? Right? So the fear, this fear of the Lord is clean. Is every fear clean? No. Because God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. There's two types of fear. There's the fear of man, and then there's the fear of God. So the fear of man would be, I'm afraid of people. I'm afraid this is what would make you like fall into peer pressure. This is what would make you do things that you honestly don't want to do a lot of times. Things that would make you act out of character. Right? The fear of man bringeth a snare, the Bible says. Sometimes we are afraid to move forward in our spiritual walks because, because people are watching, because people are listening, because people see me, they see my social media, they see how I live, they see how I dress, and I don't want people to do blah, 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 fill in the blank, to me. I don't want people to call me names. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I don't want people to exclude me from the group. I don't want people to bully me. I don't want people to this and to that. So because I am scared of people, I will act this way. That's a trap. The Bible says the fear of man brings us, it brings a trap. It'll trap you in your spiritual walk. It'll keep you from being a witness. It'll keep you from dressing modestly. It'll keep you from not cussing. It'll keep you from not telling dirty jokes. It'll keep you from fill in the blank, right? It, it will keep you and it will hold you. And it, you'll want, I want to go do it. I want to go do it. And then every time the fear of man comes to you, it's just like the snare. Like, I want to do that, but I just feel like I just can't. But God's fear is not that way. That's a dirty fear. We ought to ask the Lord to forgive us of that fear. 365 times in the word of God, God says, fear not. But God does command us to have a certain fear, a fear that is not terror, a fear that is not scared, a fear that doesn't make us feel trapped, a fear that doesn't take away our joy. God's fear brings all of those wonderful things. God's fear, it brings delight and happiness because it gets me and motivates me. It motivates me to walk in God's law. It motivates me to, to follow God 
and then I'll have done the right things, and then I'll feel good and not have a guilty conscience, and I'll be happy. You guys see the difference? The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's law and shows us fear, but a good kind of fear. And by the way, notice that term, that phrase, enduring forever. Notice that part. Daniel Merritt, he's a guy who does some research and stuff. Daniel Merritt wrote a story about a man named Voltaire. Anybody heard of Voltaire before? He wrote about a man named Voltaire, a man who wrote irreverent works about God. He was a French philosopher. He was a deist. He believed in God, but he didn't believe in Jesus Christ. And he said some pretty terrible things about the Bible and made some attacks on the Bible even. He said this, ready? 100 years from my day, this is Voltaire saying, back, way back in the day when he was alive, 100 years from my day, there will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon by an antiquarian curiosity seeker. Basically, he'll say, from, because of me, 100 years from now, nobody's going to read the Bible except for people who are just doing some research just for the sake of doing research. And you know what? That man, this is by an ironic twist of providence, 50 years after his death, the very house in which he once lived and wrote was used by the Evangelical Society of Geneva as a storehouse for Bibles and gospel tracts. They turned his house into a place to store and to make Bibles. That's to show you that the fear of the Lord, God's word, will endure forever. People may bang on it and smack it and hate it with verbal attacks, and they may get people to burn it. They may get people to never be able to have it. China may try to keep out as many copies of the Word of God as they possibly can, but they cannot defeat the Word of God. God's Word is undefeated and undefeatable. You know how we know that? Because the incarnate Word, He lives. The word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That incarnate word, he lives and he will never die. He said, I am he that liveth and was dead and I am alive forevermore. Jesus Christ will live and he will make sure his word lives. He will make sure that his gospel, that his grace, that will appear to all men and teach them. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God will preserve his word. And if nobody can defeat God, nobody can defeat this book. God's word will last. God's word will endure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We find in this verse that God's judgments, that's another synonym for his laws, are both righteous and true simultaneously. They are, as one person said, they are exceeding righteous and true. Verse 10, everybody. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. If I were to ask you, if I were to go with you guys, and I had my Bible, right, and then in one hand I had, say, a really, really, really big jar of really good candy, and it's got a couple gold bars inside. And I said, okay, you guys got to make a choice. Ready? It's either this or this, the gold bar and the candies. A lot of people, hopefully not in this room, but a lot of people would have a hard time choosing this over choosing this. And David says, more to be desired is your law than gold. Yea, than much, than a lot of really good gold, of much Fine gold, sweeter also 
than honey and the honeycomb. God's word is awesome and amazing, but a lot of people would turn that down, would turn down the word of God because they would take what they deem to be valuable. Let me ask you a question. What do you deem valuable? Wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. God's wisdom is better than all of the riches of this world. Why? Read later in that same proverb. And it teaches us that the results of wisdom are better than much fine gold. See, I can have money and candy and good food and all the pleasures of this world. And I can have it. But the end of my road may be a, a bad place. It may be full of disaster and devastation. But I may not have a lot of money and a lot of pleasure, but I walk in the ways of God's law and of God's wisdom. And at the end of that path, at the end of that road is life. At the end of that path, at the end of that road is one that is complete and happy. And I don't have to look back on the road and say there's two, those two different people. One walked down that life of pleasure, seeking only pleasure. And the one walked down this path of seeking after God's law and God's way at the path of this one. He'll look behind himself and see no regrets. If I walk in God's law, I won't have regrets. People say, no regrets, man, no regrets. YOLO, no regrets. And there's in living in a life like that, there's lots of regrets, honestly. Seeking pleasure, just seeking only good times, and you're just full of regret at the end of your life. But someone follows God and walks in his law, they'll find that the law of the Lord is sweet, that the law of the Lord is good, and that it is valuable, that it is valuable. Job said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Let's take stock, ready? So we said gold and candy, right? Does, do you need gold and candy to live? No, you don't need gold and candy to live. Job said, I think of your words more important than the food I need to survive. How much more should we think of this word of God? How much more valuable, guys, every look in here, how much more valuable should we make this to us? Job, by example for us in the word of God, said, I esteem the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. How valuable is your Bible to you? Do you read it? That's what it'll tell you. Or do you read it? And when you read it, do you pay attention? That's what will tell us. How valuable is God's word to you? Let me ask you a question. What do you sacrifice to be able to get to read it? Some days are busier than others, guys. Some days it's like you wake up and you're already busy. Like I just got out of bed. Literally my feet hit the floor and I'm taking phone calls. Or I'm doing this or I'm doing that. And my life is just busy. It's just busy. It's just busy. And I have to sacrifice other things in that day, move them out of the way. Maybe your video game time or your relaxation time or your time with that friend. And you say, I got to hold up. I got to sacrifice this time. I'm sorry, but I have to go spend time with the Lord. I got to go walk with God. I got to go read my Bible. What you'll, you'll deem the word valuable and we will know it when we see what you're willing to give up for the reading of the word of God. Take stock in your mind. Everybody right now, take stock in your mind. When was the last time you sacrificed something to be able to get a chance to read the Word of God and to study it and to spend time with the Lord? That's how valuable the Word of God is to you. That's how valuable it is. 
I'm not saying you have to every day. Well, I got to do my devotion, so I need to sacrifice some other thing today in order to do that. Not necessarily, unless that's what the Lord presses on your heart. But let me say something. When the Lord presses on your heart, you ought to obey. Stephen said, you stiff-necked in heart, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. May that not be us. Where we're so stiff-necked and uncircumcised in our heart. We've got so much callous and so much just corruptness in our heart that God can't, when God touches us, we don't even feel it. And when God speaks to us, we don't even hear it. And when God does, and we'll get to this later, we just completely ignore, Lord, I don't want to do that. No, God, I really don't feel like, no, no, no. No, I'm good, God. I don't need that. And that's called being stiff-necked. The Lord tries to change you. Like you think of like cattle or something. You change the head or like a horse. You change the head. You change their direction. It's like to stiffen up the neck. It's like I'm not going to let you turn my head because I'm going the direction that I want to go and you can't make me change. Don't be stiff-necked. When the Lord presses on you, this isn't in the message. When the Lord presses on you, you ought to listen. And you ought to obey. God tells you and tells you to do things and tells you not to do things for reasons. And God's ways are always best. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways far above our ways. And his thoughts than our thoughts. God sees all the unseen things that we don't see. Let's move on. In the word of God lies the power to break the chains of sin. The gospel with the power unto salvation to anyone who believes it. In the word of God lies the mind of Christ. In the word of God lies the greatest story ever told. In the the mind of Christ, in this word of God, we have the most accurate record of history ever recorded. Psalm 119 says this, Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. John 6 says this, from that, many ta- met, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter, Peter always wants to talk and be the spokesman of the group. He said, Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 11 of Psalm 19. Everybody looking in your Bibles. Psalm 19, 11, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is their great reward. A certain Jew had formed a design to poison Martin Luther. Martin Luther was what we call a reformer. He's the guy who posted the 95 theses on the door of a church in Germany. And Luther was apparently a hated man. And a Jewish person was trying to poison and kill Luther. Right? But Luther had a really loyal friend. And this loyal friend, he got a picture and he heard the plan. And he went to Luther with the picture of this man's face who's trying to kill him. And told him the plan. And Luther escaped to this plan to kill him. He heard the warning, he listened, and he escaped the tragedy. You guys see where I'm going with this? Hear the warnings, the word of God. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is their great reward. If you hear God's word, you ought to heed the warning. It's like driving towards a cliff. And you don't see the end of the cliff, you think it's just more road. But you see all these signs that say, turn around. Turn around, turn around. You see over in the blanket orange, they've got these lights and you can see them from far away and they're real big and they they have the authority of the government officials on there. And you're seeing it and you're like, nah, they're wrong. Nah, they're wrong. A sign after sign, you just keep driving past, keep driving past and keep driving past. What happens at the end of that road? Your car, your car goes, because you didn't heed the warnings. So it is, guys, with the word of God. 
when you hear teaching and preaching and warnings from the word of God with the authority, not of the government, but instead of the Lord Jesus Christ himself and his authority and standing with the men of God. And we stand and we tell you, turn back, turn back, turn back, turn around, turn back, turn around. Turn, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't do that. Hey, you need to be doing this. You need to stop doing this. And you just keep driving past our signs like, nah, you're wrong. Nah, you're wrong. Nah, you're wrong. I'll, I'll, spoiler alert. At the end of that road, guys, is devastation. And that's on the authority of the word of God. There is death at the end of sin. And I don't want you guys to keep driving towards it. Stop. Turn around. If you've got sin in your heart, repent. Get a change of mind. Get a change. Lord, change my mind to see sin how you see sin so I can turn around and truly turn around. Turn around. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them is their great reward. What is the great reward? The great reward, guys, the great reward is not being devastated by sin and having no regrets at the end of your life. When the Bible gives us warnings, we are greatly rewarded with safety from sin and its devastating consequences. Verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. David asks, who can understand the errors of God's servant? Or who can perceive all of his sins? David remarks at how many sins he has committed. A man after God's own heart. He looks at himself and sees sinner. Sinful, sinful sinful. He says, who can perceive, who can even understand how many times I've sinned? Who can understand his errors? And then he says this, he says, cleanse thou me from secret faults. This verse points out two things, the sinfulness of man and the graciousness of God. It points out the sinfulness of man. Everybody looking up here? Thank you. Smile at me, everybody. Big cheesy smile. It points out the sinfulness of man and the graciousness of God. How man is exceedingly, exceedingly. We sin and 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 we sin. If man sins and he doesn't know it, is he guilty? Yes, he is. Leviticus 5, Leviticus 5 says this. And if a soul sin and commit any of these things which are forbidden to be done by the commandments of the Lord, though he wist it not, though he doesn't know it, yet is he guilty? And shall bear his iniquity. But God is so gracious, guys. God is so gracious that when I sin and I don't know it, that God will forgive me of that sin. And God remembers my frame that I am but dust. God knows that my mind is not like his mind. His mind is infinite. My mind is finite. My mind is limited. His is unlimited. But he looks at my mind and he remembers I'm just a bunch of dirt. Which, by the way, in Genesis, I'm just made out of dirt, and so are you guys. We're all just made out of dirt. The gods breathed in the breath of life. You girls will be like, well, we're made of ribs. We're made of ribs and dirt. How about that? All right? So that God remembers our frame, that we are just dust. And he pities us, just like a father pities his children. When Natalie cries, right? I don't go over to Natalie and be like, you know better. You ought to stop doing that. No, Natalie doesn't know what she's doing. When Natalie cries, she just is just expressing whatever almost instincts that she has. She has a mind, but she hasn't developed it yet. So she doesn't know that making loud noises in the middle of church is wrong. She's, she's doing that unintentionally. So we're, oh, shh, Natalie, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So when I sin, and I don't even know it, we can come to God and say, Lord, cleanse me of secret faults. The sins that I'm doing, and I don't know, God, forgive me of those. And God will. 
He'll forgive us of them. Verse 13, everybody look in there. We're almost done. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. So when we talk about presumptuous sins, guys, presumptuous sin is an open eye sin. It's a... It's an open eye sin, right? It's me doing wrong and I know it. And I know it before I do it. And I am looking, and we would say a secret fault would be a blind sin. I didn't even know I was doing it. But a presumptuous sin is I know exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to do it anyway. So we know, right, David and Bathsheba. You guys know that story? David, when he was about to sin with Bathsheba, when he saw Bathsheba washing herself on the roof, you know what he said? He said, get the woman for me. And somebody said to him, oh, 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 hold on. This is, and he named her father and named her husband. He said, this is somebody's daughter. This is somebody's wife. And David had him go get her for him anyway. David knew exactly what he's doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he walked eyes wide open straight into sin. That's presumptuous sinning. And that is a heinous and a terrible thing, guys. Jesus Christ, he died for us. And he suffered for our sins. And we could say, well, Brother Alex, it's not like in the Old Testament days when someone would uh, commit a presumptuous sin back then. They'd get cut off from the tribe of Israel and they'd have to get shoved out. By the way, they'd get shoved out for a presumptuous sin. For knowing they're going to sin and then walking straight into it, God would be like, nah, nah, you're out. Get out of Israel. You're no longer part of the people because I told you to do something and you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. So get out. That was Old Testament. New Testament, we're in the dispensation of grace. Everyone say that. Dispensation of grace. So if Hannah sins and she knows it, commits a presumptuous sin, God doesn't, no, no, get out of my church. God doesn't say, no, you're cast out from salvation. No, I'm going to take my Holy Spirit back. No, no, no. But we have a most much closer walk with Jesus now than they did then. See, with Jesus, the Holy Ghost would reside behind the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest got to go in once a year. But now God lives in you. God came to be inside your temple. He came that you would be holy. God wants you to look and to act like him. He came to live inside of you. So how much holier should we be? Well, Brother Alex, we're living in the dispensation of grace. You know, I'm just going to live in my liberty. I'm just going to live on my Christian liberty. I'm just going to, you know, do it. Well, should we that are dead to sin live anymore therein? God forbid. We are dead to sin. We should not live anymore in sin, just swimming, just drowning in the stuff that Jesus Christ died for. That he became on the cross. That separated him from the Father. And you just give your sin. I know this is wrong. But Jesus, take another one of those. Hey, Jesus, take another one of those. Hey, Jesus, take another one of those. And you just sin. And sin. Hey, God, I don't care about you. I don't care what you have to say, Lord. No, 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 no. I'm going to... Holy Ghost. Shh, I'm going to do this. Because I want to do this. And I got the thing that I want to do. Don't touch me, Holy Ghost. Don't poke me. Stop bothering me so much during the preaching. I'm going my way. And you stiffen up your necks? That's presumptuous, rebellious, hard-hearted sinning. And how much you guys should, should not even fear the Lord because of his consequences. I heard it this way one time. We fear that we would hurt the Lord. 
with our actions and with our sin. You know, we just sin wide open. When we sin, we hurt the heart of God. The Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Quench not the Spirit. It means to make him sad. It means to, to drown him, to push him down, to push him out. No, Holy Ghost, stop. No, Holy Ghost, stop. Don't sadden God. When you tell God no, when you say, I'm doing this and I don't care about the consequence, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm doing this because I want to do it, that is a heinous thing. And the Christian ought not to do that, guys. We ought to live in love with the Lord. Oh, I love Jesus. And you live in presumptuous sin. One of these things is not like the other. That doesn't match up. It doesn't, it doesn't jive. You're living presumptuously, sinning, doing whatever you want, rebelling against the Bible and saying you love Jesus and trying to, to put on the Christian act and even trying to fool yourself. We say that we have no sin. We deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. I'm almost done, guys. All right? I'm almost done. We don't need to keep checking our watches. 8 o'clock, I know what time it is. How would you feel? Put this on you. How would you feel if someone you loved so much that gave you great sacrifice at a great cost to you, took what you offered, and then did things that they knew hurt you deeply, and they knew it would hurt your feelings while they did them. That's exactly what presumptuous sins are. Let me say this. These sins, if left unchecked, will become addicting. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. These sins, you get into presumptuous sin, you get into willful sin, eyes wide open, doing whatever you want, it'll get addicting. You'll callous that heart of yours. You'll shove out your conscience. You'll have your heart seared with a hot iron. And you'll just, you'll not even care, and you'll just be like addicted. It'll have dominion over you. Sin always grows and sin always changes. We would wonder, how did somebody get in jail for murder? How did someone get in jail for that? How did someone's life end so terribly? A little sin. And it's like yeast, right? The Bible equates sin to yeast. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. That's talking about the church, but the truth is still the same in our lives. I put a little bit of leaven in my life and it goes unchecked. It'll grow and change and 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 grow and change. And it'll go from little white lies to someone who's in jail for tax evasion. You guys follow me? It'll go from little bit of bitterness and unforgiveness to murder. If left unchecked, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Sin always grows and sin always changes. Just like it is with our walk with God. That if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. With sin, if you're not going backwards, like, yeah, let me explain it better. Basically, you have to get it out to keep it from getting worse. And if it goes unchecked, it'll just keep getting worse and keep getting worse and keep getting worse. All right. Last verse, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David here, after the prayer for protection and for cleansing, asks God to not only for his deeds, but now for his words and thoughts of his heart to help him. He asks that they may be able to be to God in a way that would be acceptable. He didn't ask that it would be acceptable to his friends or to his co-workers. He didn't ask that it would be acceptable to others. He said, Lord, more than anybody else, and this would be our application, ready? More than anybody else, I want my words to be acceptable to God. Well, what if other people don't approve? Well, then other people don't approve. Nobody matters as much as God matters. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength 
and my Redeemer. That's your motivation. God is your strength. Remember all the times the Lord helped you and gave you grace and held you up when in your time of need and your time of trouble, and then he redeemed you from sin and from your own, your own wages of sin, the death and hell forever. God is your strength. He's your Redeemer. Let that motivate you. Pray. Ready? We pray that the Lord would cleanse us from presumptuous sins, cleanse us from secret faults, and that the words of our heart and the, med- the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable to him. Lord Jesus, help us. Thank you, Lord, for being who you are. 